the Milsim Gaming Podcast. Yes, hello there, and you're very welcome to episode two of the Milsim Gaming Podcast, your intelligence source on the Milsim and tactical shooter genres. My name, as ever, is Resident. Thanks a lot for joining us. So just to recap, our aim with the podcast is to provide you, the players, with insight and background and just general interesting discussion around games like Squad, Insurgency Sandstorm, Postscriptum, Arma 3, Escape from Tarkov, and lots more. Basically, if it's in the military simulation or tactical shooting genre, we will touch on it. For our second episode today, we'll be sitting down with Miffy Durf Gaming. He's a YouTuber who focuses a lot on games like Squad and Postscriptum. But I reckon what really sets Miffy Durf apart is the fact that he's actually a serving member of the UK military. Now, I don't know about you, but anecdotally, from gameplay over the last year or so, I've noticed that there is a fairly high proportion of players of these particular realism-focused games who tend to have a military background. Be it people who maybe they've just completed compulsory military service on the European servers, or they might be active service members kind of enjoying a Saturday morning game event on a game like Squad in North America. I think it's something that actually sets the player base apart. So we made sure to ask Miffy Durf exactly how it all works in relation to his job, as well as his own opinions on exactly how the genre is progressing. This episode was recorded a few months back, with COVID-19 having seriously delayed airing until now, but I think you'll find it an interesting discussion. We'll have another episode up very shortly before we settle into our regular weekly show, aiming to get you a new episode of the Milsim Gaming Podcast every Friday. You're listening to the Milsim Gaming Podcast. Where do you find yourself this evening? Are you are you at home at the moment now, or I'm in my uh, room in the barracks, so I'm uh, in the military. So during the week, I spend my time there, and I stay in the barracks, and then on the weekend, I go home. It's not too bad. And is it a case where you'd be based in the, the UK, is it? Yeah, yeah, so I'm based in the UK. Um, given my job, pretty much all of our postings are in the UK, so I stay there, and I'm only about two hours away from home, so it's not too bad. I've just gone past my four-year point now, so a little while, actually, yeah. It's, uh, like I was saying, it's interesting that the number of people sometimes that are actually uh, involved with the military, one way or the other, who are involved with these these games as well. How did you start playing these games? You know, is it a, is the sort of thing that you started to take seriously only recently? Yeah, definitely. So I'd say I probably first started. So I first heard of any kind of game, Armor, through um, when the Daisy mod got really big, like mm-hmm. I don't know, probably what, like six years ago now, probably. Uh, at the time, that was when I just started playing PC. So I got, I then got Armor Two to play that. I loved that, and then I looked into what Armor Two actually was, and then from that I started playing so just uh, like campaign things like that. And then I found out Milsim through um, the Shack that group through Dyslexy, his YouTube channel. Okay. And then I looked into doing my own one, and I started playing with some guys um, called Tier 1 Ops, who I'm not sure if they still run anymore, I haven't played with them for years, but played Milsim on armor with them. And then from that, I then found uh, Blue Drake 42 on Project Reality, the old Battlefield 2 mod. And that's what got me into like the smaller tactical games, and then obviously that led on to Squad, and then... Now I'm in Squad, Postscript, and Hell Let Loose, and I play everything now. Excellent, but it was the old, the old classic Arma that led you oh, to yeah. this sort of stuff. Arm is what started me off. It seems like you've either made your way and graduated up through Arma and stuff like that, or you've gotten, you know, sucked in more recently, I think, when some of the games got a little bit bigger. 
Yeah, that's how I found it. You yourself, I suppose, you would have been up and down about Arma 2 and 3, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I played, I played Arma 2 probably for about three years, I think, before Arma 3 came out. And then, yeah, Arma 3, I just got into, didn't get into it straight away, because at the start, it wasn't, it, it picked up better as it, as it went on, once the community started getting involved. Excellent. And it's just a case where you stayed in touch with everything, and, um, you know, uh, a lot of people have found their way through Project Reality into, into Squad and all the rest. Yeah, yeah. You've just stayed in touch with it the entire way. Yeah, that's my big thing. And then just from that, just from playing with different people, you hear about different games and you check them out and then you find all sorts and then you're just sucked into the little world and you never leave. What is the usual scenario where you're actually able to find time in the week to sit down and actually play? Because it can be such a struggle. Like, yeah. where are you and how do you find the time? With my situation, it's quite lucky because so during the week where I don't have my family here, I don't really have any commitments during the week and there's, there's nothing else to do. So normally I'll go to the gym or something or I'll do that during the day. In the evening, I normally divvy it up between playing games and editing. But, mm-hmm. And then on the weekend, I, I don't have my computer because my computer stays here. So when most people play on the weekends, all the big games and all like the really cool life events and armor events normally happen, I get to miss out on those. And I just do all the... The the little boring ones on the Wednesdays and stuff like that. I hear you. Yeah, it seems like uh, yeah, it seems like Saturday morning. Uh, I find is like if you can carve out some time on Saturday morning, you can find yourself in some absolutely kind of massive affairs if you really want to. And the servers are just absolutely popping as well. Oh yeah, obviously over the real side in Canada and America, a lot of guys come on then, mm. and the servers really pick up then. And even on like the European servers, you find loads of Americans. And stuff. That's when it's better because you get a lot of um, just a lot more people gives you a lot more options. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but it's a kind of an interesting scenario of your actual career and your profession it's like that involves basically being monday to friday dedicated to a place but you have got the ability actually to play yeah just sacrifice just sacrifice some sleep and stay out to play uh, one life events at half one in the morning <laughs> and do you suffer the next day like is it a case where you're like jesus christ i should have just logged off at half 11 but I'm, so, I'm... sometimes i do but then i'm like oh, it's worth it really and i'll just sleep slightly longer the next day and it'll be so fine okay excellent you're not being like there's not like a horn sounding at like six in the morning again yeah or anything like that <laughs> No, that's just the most annoying alarm sound I could find on my phone, that's all. I was taking a look at, uh, again, at this delighted stuff you put up on the channel, and I noticed that you Hell Let Loose video actually just uh, go up there very recently. You know, obviously, that's just one of the the, the latest ones, I suppose, that's kind of come out. Um, and it came hot on the heels of Postscriptum as well. What were your first impressions? I, I, don't, I didn't really know what I was expecting going into it, because from what I'd heard is that it was... Like Postscriptum, but less less realism. It's a bit easier to get into, and I've noticed that because the server population is a lot higher and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think the the graph. I mean, the graphics. Everyone knows that, but hell, it loose. That's that's its big selling point. Is the graphics are amazing. But my big thing is, I think that because it caters to that that almost in between market, like it's it's almost a stepping stone. You go from like bat, you go from Call of Duty to Battlefield. Maybe try hell, it loose. Then you get into Postscriptum and Squad and things like that. But um, you don't see things like communication like you do in other games and. That was the biggest letdown for me, I think, is that you get in and no one's talking. That's silence, is it? Yeah. The the game, like the gunplay, the game is amazing. It's just, I think it's just the community in it, it lets it down. That's the only issue. I hear you. It is definitely, you know, always a talking point, the idea of, you know, communication being absolutely key. I've noticed, from what I've noticed, just from playing a little bit, is that if you get in as a squad leader, there's a lot of communication at that level. But if you're just a normal rifleman, unless you get into the right squad, you might not hear very much. And I don't know, for a new player, it might sound very silent, I guess. It's still a new game. It's still learning. But I mean, it's it's kind of a funny thing in in that regard because even with Squad, I found when I started playing it, it seemed like uh you know when you just when you begin the game, you're like I'm not saying a word to anybody. <laughs> like 
yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. I do not want to open my mouth. I haven't an idea yeah. what's going on. And then as you pass 100 hours, you pass 200 hours, you're like, yeah. okay, I, I kind of know what I'm going on here. And I think it's also finding the right server, though, as well, a lot of the time. Yeah. Do you remember your first server for Squad? For squad. So my first server was back in... I, I, I got the Kickstarter... I played back then, and oh God, I can't remember what my first ever was. I remember it was good, though, because obviously everyone playing back then was all Project Reality players who got into the Kickstarter, so everyone then was all loving tactical games. So that was really good for me. But then when I came, I probably came back to it at the start of 2019, because I had a big lull. I didn't really play many games that much. Mm-hmm. And getting back into it, I think I went on to... I can't remember what it was now. I think it's Face Punch's server. Squad especially. A lot of the ser- like, there aren't really bad servers, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, pretty much every server I've played on, I've had a good game on. I've rarely gone onto a server you write in Squad and gone, this is a mess. Oh, yeah. It's been it's been very, very few times that that's happened. Yeah, it's funny you should say Face Punch's, because my first experience was I logged on, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And <laughs> these two nice guys with uh, British accents were like, oh, yeah, we'll help you out, and completely guided me through yeah. the first 25 minutes of the game. It was like this amazing tutorial. Amazing. But um, then I got ran over by a tank, and I had my first experience of being stuck under a tank. <laughs> oh, God. Of the newer crops of games that have popped along and what you've been able to uh, to play yourself, are there any particular standouts, any ones that you're like, this this one is really attracting me? I've not, actually, I've not really been into any new releases much, other than Hell Let Loose, but there's things like a lot of new updates have been standing out, like... Um, mm-hmm. Chapter 2 per scriptum has stood out to me as, I don't know if you played it, but it was just done perfectly, right. if I'm honest. That was probably my biggest standout so far that I've had recently. What do you think that they, is there anything specific that you think that they improved or, or got better with it? Yeah, so it was just, so before the game was very similar to Squad, where it's just quiet, it's a village, it has some buildings and you can go into them. Whereas now it's, the environment feels lived in and it feels like they prep for a strike, like the towns are destroyed and the buildings are mm-hmm designed in that way that it feels like there is an ongoing war there intricate things like one of the maps now has a tunnel under it like an alleyway system you can use and things like that and it's just it's just completely different to the normal game and buildings all fleshed out they have beds in them they have carpets in them and Mm -hmm. curtains and things like that and it just makes it feel more immersive i guess I don't know what it is, but whenever I play uh, Postscriptum or any of those World War II games, my mind's always drawn to movies that were, you know, based in World War II. Oh, definitely. Like I think definitely. of I think of specific scenes from like Saving Private Ryan or like Band of Brothers or whatever like that. Yeah. And the props, the small things, are kind of what make some of those scenes. So um, it's totally cool to, to hear that they're actually uh, kind of upping the small detail. I think I also really like that it's they've picked a area of World War Two that's pretty much never been touched as far as I'm aware in a video game. So uh invasion of France nineteen forty. So French versus Germans early war and it's just so there's no rocket launchers, they're all anti tank rifles and it's it's such a bizarre thing because you're so used to World War Two in post D Day Europe Western Europe and it's just still World War Two but also so different at the same time. And it's crazy. A weird experience. It's kind of a nice move on their part too because um yeah. Like you said, it's that's where the later war stuff has been overdone, but you never really hear too much about like the invasion of France or the Maginot Line or anything like that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and I guess, I mean, I did see one or two videos in regards to it. You also get exposed to a lot of like French weapons, which are just bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, there's one that I've got a video coming out on soon. It's, uh, the show show, which is like a, well, I think it was developed in like World War One, but it's just, just so bizarre looking because it's such a rushed World War One weapon, and it's just, but it feels great to use, and because you've never used it in any other video game ever. Mm-hmm. 
it's just strange but really fun at the same time is that like a would that be i'm, I'm trying that's kind of like a light machine gun is it yeah it's like a 20 round it's like i guess like the world war one french equivalent to the bar i guess you could say uh, i suppose have the theater ones that have that have kind of been popping out and are, i've been seeing a, like a lot of people have been posting stuff from the vr world as well we've seen stuff yeah. like onwards and stuff like that but it I just don't know if the majority of people have overcome like the costs and the practical aspects of the headsets. That is that's a big issue, yeah. Can you you can you do anything like that on the barracks or will people start throwing shit at you and stuff like that? Oh no, no, I've got a I've got a vibe under my desk now. Um, okay. I got one about uh, a year or yeah, about a year ago probably. Mm. Partly I think the first VR game I saw and I thought, holy shit, I need one, was Onward. I think it was like one of their first videos and then I followed it for a few moments and I was, uh, some other VR games came out. I was like, all right, I need to get a Vive now. And it was an expensive fork out, but I think if you have the disposable income to do it, then it's worth it. I don't think you should put, you take some of your life savings to buy one, but if you had the money to do it, do it and you probably won't regret it, I don't think, because it's just such a surreal experience, I think. It's crazy. Re- really fun, though. Do you find yourself ever saying, you know, I got a bit of time, I might play some games tonight. I really feel like scratching this little itch and, and playing some, some, some VR, like playing some Onward and stuff like that. Oh, certainly, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, it's just a completely different platform in itself, and it's just it's one you can't play for too long, because one, it gets tiring, and, it gets, and it's not comfortable when you have something stuck to your face for, like, two hours, but it is different and it feels good the only reason i don't make more videos on it is because i have a desktop microphone and i can't strap it to my chest when i'm talking so otherwise it would I, like i mean you've got great sound quality in the games when you use it actually but uh what are you using as a desktop mic uh i've just got a little uh uh what's it uh blue snowball actually just um yeah back when i wanted to start i was like right what's a, a quite cheap uh i guess best bang for your buck i guess microphone and this is what i found and with some denoise stuff i guess afterwards it sounds pretty good actually for what you pay i'm using a um probably the most common mic in the world a blue yeti here myself yeah but um it's been fantastic i have to say like up until the microphone jack went last week and i had to open it up uh. <laughs> and i fixed it with a uh, with a safety pin Content creators are, are, what, are what get so many of us actually into playing a lot of these games. You know, we find stuff on YouTube. Oh, 100%. That's how I found it, yeah. yeah. The top-tier creators, when they're when they're creating stuff, like, it's as good as watching any sort of content. You know, it's it's fantastic. Um, when you decided that you wanted to create this sort of stuff as well yourself, what was the what was the mindset? Were you kind of saying, I'm going to record everything and just simply pull out the most entertaining stuff? Or would you sometimes say it's a case where I'm going to go out right now and record in this, you know, One Life event? Or how, how did you approach it? I guess it, I guess it depends really on on the content itself. So I started making YouTube like back in like 2013 when I was like 15 or something. Yeah. I can't remember how old I was. But very young, and very uh, I guess impressionable. I used to watch different like Minecraft YouTubes and try and make videos. But then um, a few months ago, I decided I wanted to give it a go again properly. Yeah. And at the time, I played lots of tactical games. So I was like, right, I'm gonna go with this as my niche. And at the time, I was just like, okay, I'll just I'll just record some videos and just record some and see what happens, see what we can get. Mm-hmm. And a lot of videos, I'll just record the round. And if the round's really good, then I'll edit that down to a good round. Or sometimes if I just got a lot of funny clips from different bits, I'll make a video out of that. But then, like, the dedicated One Life uh, events, yeah, I'll just record the full round. And then I'll put the briefing at the start. You can skip that. And then I'll just edit in the, the highlights so it's not... Because no one just wants to sit watch me looking out a window for 10 minutes, seeing if anyone walks past and no one walks past. With these sort of games, it's like... um 
you can tell that there's there's a huge amount of editing sometimes in order to make the content good. Yeah. Um, you know, you can you can record for an hour and only two minutes or oh, so yeah. go in. But in terms of the actual editing, it's you know when it comes to content creation, it can be a bit of a chore. Um, have you found yourself getting faster as as you know the weeks go by and you do more and more? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have some videos where I. I started in them in like an hour and I just get, if it's just not, if it's just, the video doesn't feel good, you just start to get bored. But um, when you get the right video, you can just plow for it and it's surprising how fast you can edit things and get the right bits. Mm-hmm. You do it, in, I do it in stages. So what I'll do is I'll get the clips or the whole video, then I'll edit the good clips and then I'll put them in order and then I'll shrink them down to the, just the bits I want and then go for the audio. And it's just it's like a four stage process for one video and it just, sometimes it can take a while. Yeah. Do you ever stumble across other people who are clearly making content or that you know happen to be content creators? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Sometimes. I mean, like, sometimes they're quite obvious. Like, if you're playing a game and someone has Twitch slash in their username, some, sometimes you do, or sometimes I'll, I'll recognize someone I've seen that squad shared or something like that, and then maybe I'll try and stick to them just in case my name gets in the video or something like that. But, <laughs> you know, it's just whatever you could do. Eh? I know. You, I mean, when you're, when you're trying to grow a channel, you know, from, from nothing, you really kind of have to, like, get involved and you know if you see someone talk to them yeah but also normally someone's a content creator they want to make good content for what because they're probably recording they want to make good content for themselves which therefore means mm-hmm. and you do as well so therefore if you're hanging around together you're more likely to create good content that you can both use then so it does help if you do that as well i know it's such a broad question what makes good content like if it's a case where you're you're playing a game let's say that the hell let loose or, or a squad or one life event you're like okay i know I know I'm getting good stuff. Um, what's the sort of scenario when you, when you know that you're you're nailing it? Sometimes it can just be if you just you get in a good position and you get a lot of kills from that position without dying. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Or sometimes it's just when like I've had one before where I've just finished a round and I'm just like you know when you're in the end screen and you're congratulating each other in the squad and that round just feels good. You're like yeah. I don't even remember really what happened that round, but I know I can make a good video out of this. Sometimes you get that big wash at the end of it where you're like yeah, fuck that was great. That was really fun. When you just let go of the controls and sit back in your chair and, and breathe for a minute, that's when you know you've had a good round. When you've been a squad leader and you feel like you're losing your voice by the end of the round, sometimes. I always think it's one of those games, specific, particularly when it comes to squad, when you you know when you get that really sudden game end screen and you've just squeaked a, vist- a victory and you're like, fuck, that was so hard, but we we managed to do it. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's it never best kind of round. It never really gets old. That's what I find anyway. You can you can have some games that just don't go well. Or like you just sometimes the first time you log on, you'll get put into the middle of a game. You can't find a squad that's open that's talking, and you just mm-hmm. sit around for a bit. But then if you ever get into a pretty much in squad, if you get into a game at the start of the round and get in one of the squads formed that have mic or something, yeah, you're pretty much guaranteed to have a good round, even if you lose horribly. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed when I was beginning was that, yeah, I would often find myself in this scenario where I would log into a server and the squads would be sometimes locked, fine, yeah, uh, but sometimes they would be full and you'd be in a scenario where there, you know there's people waiting for you to create a squad. Um, yeah. And it's just one of those things with, with squad in particular where you need to commit to the fact that if you're playing this game, you need to commit to squad leading and get good at it. Definitely, yeah. If if it if it was a case here where you were talking to someone who just bought Squad on you know a Steam sale or something like that, and you could give them you know one piece of advice for kind of let's say just enjoying it and getting the most out of the game, would that be it? I suppose like commit to, to getting Squads, or is it you know another key piece? Yeah. My my biggest my probably biggest thing to someone who's just started playing Squad specifically is whenever you see if you see those servers that say new players welcome. Mm-hmm. 
don't join those servers. Don't. Because the only people playing those servers are new players, and that is not how squad is played. Is what is what I've learned from... I played them myself, uh, not when I was new, but just to see what they were like, and I noticed that other than the people who are leading the squad, and even sometimes not even them, no one really knows what they're doing, there's not a lot of communication. Mm-hmm. You're better off joining a proper server at the start of the round, get into a, a team that's talking, and then... D- Pretty much 95% of the time, the squad leader will be happy to tell you how to do something if you don't know. And yeah, that that's the best way, I think, to play. is just learn by actually playing the game properly. Dive in at the deep end and don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Because if you start playing on a new player server, you will just play with new people who also don't really know how squad works. And it won't you won't get the, the squad experience, I'd say. There are uh, like a lot of active people on the likes of the Reddit forums and stuff like that who are ringing the debt now for, for squad and saying that, you know, this... Great game that's been that's been going in one form or another since the Kickstarter was completed in, in, in twenty fifteen is is on the way out because you just have waves and waves of battlefield players coming in who have no interest in ever communicating. There seems to be a shift on the studio's part to uh to, to facilitate that. But then, you know, you see something happen like the removal of the buddy ratty. What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think do you think that the game is losing some of its kind of unique appeal, or is it a case where, you know, you just think they're just, you know, fiddling with things or I think it's more just a fiddling thing, personally. I, I see where some people come from it, but I think it's a case of, you see, like, they implement things and people say that, oh, they're just appearing to new players, but then they realise that it wasn't actually their goods, so then they removed it, because they still listen to community, they're just trying to make a middle ground, because obviously they want people to play their game. Of course they do. They don't want the people who already play it, they want people to survive the game. So I think they do listen to the community, and, I mean, everyone, we always see the memes on the Reddit about um, newbies on the free weekend, but... <laughs> I think that's the thing that we've, we get used to, and outside of the free weekend, you, you don't see it often enough for it to really matter. I think something like something like the Buddy Riley thing, which was being um, you know criticised up and down by a lot of people. Like, I mean, they got rid of it quite quickly when you think about it. That is that is responsiveness uh, yeah. to the community in some way, right? Definitely, it wasn't. It didn't stay around for long enough, really. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I think. I think they tested it. They gave it enough time to it to test it properly, and outside of just the play tests. And I think, I think they did well. I think they listened to the community and they got rid of it. So I'm quite happy with it. The way they dealt with it. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, this is a game, you know, that doesn't. It, they don't have massive, massive resources that they can devote towards it, and, uh-huh. and they do their best to try to try and keep on top of things. There are some things that uh, that still piss me off about Squad, like just like any other game. Oh yeah, um, of course. Like if it was a case where. I mean, is there anything that you were saying, like, if you could make a magic wand and change it in squad at the moment, what would that be on your end? At the minute, the overall gameplay is actually, I think they're doing pretty, after they took out the buddy rally system, that would have been my big thing, but now that it's gone, actually, my biggest worry is gone. One of the biggest things for me, I think, is adding um, port for different control systems. So, like, a lot of people are tactical gamers who probably use track IR and things like that in armor, mm-hmm. especially for things like the, like, I used to play helos a lot in armor and it'd be so good just to be able to look around while flying a helicopter or i know a lot of people want to use joysticks i was with a mouse and keyboard but i've seen a lot of people in the community asking out for support for that and that'd be a big thing i think as across the board really to add support for things like that it'd be it'd be awesome because there are a bunch of people in squad who have really taken the helicopter seriously and they are yeah. they are loading up in a helicopter you know at the beginning of a beginning of missions and really dedicating yeah. themselves and those people yeah they they yeah, <laughs> like they're very aware of the limitations of oh, particularly yeah. looking around, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just the fact that to look around, you have to then sacrifice the ability to control the helicopter is quite crazy. Mm-hmm. But 
Or even just allowing it so you can control view with mouse and control the helicopter with mouse and keyboard would be fine. Feels like helicopters have always been in the game now. I know they've only I know they've only yeah. been there a short period of time, but um they've added such a such an element to it and we know from other from other sources and people that like it really looks like they're gonna be adding additional types too. But um yeah. I think it's fair to say that they've been a very successful, you know, addition. From the second they were released, the whole dynamic of squad kind of changed like now you have to look up. That was never a thing before. Yeah. Before when they before was when it was captured, you then you maybe a minute or so to get back or set up a defence unless some lodgy had run out the back. But now it's literally a helicopter if they're skilled enough can literally come in the second it's captured, pick them up and drop them off on the next one within about fifteen seconds. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be ready for that dynamic. If it, like if a team's got a good helo pilot, they can really change the dynamic of the game. It's um it's awesome to see them being played well, and especially when they hug the ground without flying into a tree yeah. or something like that. It, yeah. It's uh it's 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 absolutely killer. From my experience, the heli pilots are in the game. They just they play the game properly. They they do logistics runs. They help the guys out. They're not like I almost would have expected that some people would just take it and try and use the guns on the side as an attack helicopter. Everyone seems to be playing it well. One. Yeah, I think that was a, definitely a good move to limit it to two machine guns, one on each side. Because honestly, the amount yeah. of times I've actually been killed by a helicopter, I, I could probably count it on one hand. Um, they're not very effective. Yeah, they really are a weapon of like sh- shoot away at another big target, like another chopper, and and that's lit- or just suppress. That's literally all they're good for. That's yeah, that's literally just suppress the AT so it doesn't shoot you directly. It's about all they can do. Yeah, but that's all they really should be useful. It's just a it's a protection weapon. It's not an attacking weapon. Like you, like you mentioned, it's a case here where we've got lots more coming on stream at the moment uh, in terms of other gaming. Is there anything in particular that you've spotted coming down the uh, the line in in 2020 that you'd be particularly interested in, or is it just uh, is anything that's standing out? A big one that's been standing out for me is um, Ready or Not. That's co- that should hopefully be coming out this year. Is I, I think it was the it's basically the spiritual love child of uh, SWAT 4, which is I guess is just if you basically made Rainbow Six into a tactical game. It's like a completely new dynamic rather than military simulator. As far as I'm aware, it's just a, a small team similar to most tactical games now, like how Postscript and Squad Hell at Loose have. I think it's just a small dedicated team of people. I'll definitely I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ready or Not. I never super got into the, the SWAT games, but I uh, that's for sure. Did you play them yourself? Yeah, it's no same position for me. I was I never played them, but I was made I was made aware of them and they look fun. But by that point, it was a bit out of date to get back into them. Yeah, it'll be interesting one to check out. I wonder how similar it is to something like you know Counter Strike or that when you're you know really in a tight squad trying to get into like a small small environment like that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the kind of scenario they're going for. For me, what I like about uh, these games in particular is that. I can play, you know, an entertaining, essentially video game, but there's a real social element too that I that I that I really enjoy, and um, it's it's great that I can kind of log on and literally talk to randomers and stuff like that. Do you also find it kind of useful yourself to be able to completely step away from your, you know, your social surroundings that you have with the job? Yeah, definitely. It's just it is that fact, like you say, like even if you jump into a game with a random stranger you've never played with before. After about five minutes, and you're in the squ- and you're in a firefight, it feels like you play with them for a long time and. Mm-hmm. And also, when you play with people you've played, you've met through Squad, it's just you do develop a proper community in there, and it's it's really good to step into. Final, final question. Um, I know it's it's such a such a stupid noob beginner question and all the rest of this, but like, okay. uh, considering the job that you do and all the rest of that, the best elements of this stuff does it have any resemblance to actually real life military maneuvers and the likes of that? Oh God, yeah. 
I mean, from my experience, most of the time, no. My biggest <laughs> thing with, yeah. with games is that, so obviously in real life, you use suppression. You shoot at someone, whether they're hiding behind a wall or a cover, you shoot at someone, and then they will, they will not pop their head up because they don't want to die. Whereas in a game, it's just, oh, I could either keep my head down or I could pop up and maybe you'll shoot me and maybe I'll have to come back in 45 seconds. It's not, not that much. So that's, that's the hardest thing about video games is that suppression isn't really a thing, which is, the biggest factor in real life. Even it, even in like a one life, like a one life event, wouldn't address that in even like the lightest, the smallest amount, you know. Oh, it definitely, definitely makes you more cautious in one life events, like certainly. But even then, if I lose in a one life event, the worst case scenario is I might have to watch from the spectator again for twenty minutes, and then get back in the next round. So, but it definitely games like that make you a lot more cautious, especially whenever it's one life, you know, you have to wait and you can't be involved anymore. It definitely makes you feel more cautious. And even, think, even things like I'm thinking with um with Postscriptum, you know, where it's a face where you have to use your canteen and stuff like that. I suppose that's getting a little bit closer to it, but I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually quite a big fan of that system. I like the um how stamina is more of a currency, I guess, than a uh, than just thing that regens over time. And like you have to time your sprints and plan them and things like that. I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Interesting. Um, no, cool. Uh, absolutely. That's a, that's a very, very key point that you've made. And uh, I don't know how that will ever get overcome, to be honest with you. I think it's just a thing that you just have to accept with video games. But then again, it makes for situations you never get in real life, so which are a lot more fun. Cool, man. Look, I really appreciate taking the time. It was, good. It was a pleasure talking. Take it easy. See you later. Well, that does it for our second episode of the Mill Sim Gaming Podcast. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, where we delve into the beating heart of the gaming world, Discord, and see what it's like to run a server on it in the middle of the COVID-19 period. If you want to get in touch, or you have a topic that you'd really like the MSG podcast to cover, shoot us an email via millsimgamingpodcast at gmail.com. Did we get something wrong? Then give us hell on the tried and trusted platform for online complaining, that of course being Twitter. While you're at it, be sure to follow us on Instagram, where we'll do our best to post attractive images, despite being an audio platform that has very little to do with images. And finally, please also kindly consider contributing to our little Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash MSG podcast, and you'll really be helping the Milsim Gaming Podcast to stay in production. Until next time, I've been Resident, over and out. <laughs>